Hi, I'm Dora from Dora Nicolau and my drink of choice is a chai. I'm Gemma from Contently Driven and my drink of choice is red wine. And I'm Michaela from Inspired Office and my drink of choice is a sparkling white wine. Work-life wine time supports the responsible consumption of alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Work-Wife Wine Time podcast the podcast for Australian women in business who are looking for connection and the support of other women who are sharing the same business journey. It's Michaela here with you today, and I'm really looking forward to connecting you with my special guest, Ruth King. Ruth is a best-selling author, consultant, and entrepreneur. So first of all, welcome to the podcast, Ruth. Thank you so much for being here and, and, and you know having fun with your you and helping your audience and give them some things to think of businesses. That's awesome. I'm so excited to have you here. I actually, I love talking about finance. I never used to, but I think it's the strategy side of thing that gets me excited. So (laughs) I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah. Most people, I mean, me included, we didn't start our businesses to do numbers. We didn't start our businesses to do a P&L and a balance sheet. We started our business because we wanted to help people. We had an idea. We had a product that was really good. Or I mean, never in our wildest dreams did we say, I want to start my business to do a P&L and a balance sheet every month. Exactly. You know, we don't. <laughs> but it's looking at them every month is what is going to keep you in business mm. once you get into business. So, and I, you know, I like to explain this to just about everybody because accounting was invented around somewhere between 12 and 1300. Oh, wow. By the Venetian monks who needed to take care of the rich Italians money. And, you know, think about 1200, 1300, there were no calculators. You know, the Chinese had abacuses, but the world was, not, you know, they didn't talk to the Italians back then. So they had to make it really easy. Addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. And now we have, you know, zero or QuickBooks or Sage or something else like that. And we definitely have calculators. So there's, we just try in our heads, we try to make it harder than it actually is because we've some, some of us just fear numbers. Yeah. uh, That's what I was going to say. It's like, I think it's just the fear of the numbers. It's because you're right. It's not actually that hard. And I have to admit when I first started my first business, like I, I was a, if I don't look at it, maybe it's not going to be a thing <laughs> kind of person. But now it's, and I mean, having different things that have happened in my life and in my business, it's like I fully appreciate the importance of knowing exactly where you are and having a good financial strategy in place. And like it, it really can be life-changing to have that and to to know where everything's at rather than that, oh, if I don't look, maybe it's not as bad as I think it could possibly be. Or I don't know what I'm looking at, so I yes. don't, you know, I'm not going to look at it. Or, you know, I just don't want to do it. I've got other things I'd rather do. Yeah. Awesome. So, Ruth, can you tell us a bit more about who you are and what you do? Well, I started out as a chemical engineer. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I ended up spending 
a couple of years in chemical engineering and absolutely hated it. So I went back to school and got my MBA and found out that I was really, really good at financial numbers, which when I was in engineering school, there was no business classes. So I couldn't even know from that perspective that I was really good at explaining numbers. So that's where the whole financial six businesses along the way. Um, the consulting business is a business that I do where I help people grow their businesses through um, giving them tools and processes to get and stay profitable and build wealth. Um, and then I've written six books and they're all in English. They're not in accounting babble. The courage to be profitable is, you know, it's like, okay, here's what a P&L is in English. Here's what a balance sheet is in English, you know, yeah. and it's that type of, and it's all stories. So you can learn from the mistakes of others rather than a very dry textbook, which you're going to go to sleep in five minutes with. So what made you decide to go from chemical engineering into like your MBA and the financial side of things? Well, I hated what I was doing. Yeah. All right. And I've always wanted a business. Yeah. And. I decided that I'll go to business school and, you know, see what this is all about. Ended up as a finance major, which teaches you nothing about being in a small business. Really? And really. It's it's meant for larger companies, at least in the U.S. Oh, I don't know okay. about Australia. Yeah. But uh, they're meant to, you know, as you're going to be a, an accounting or a finance person for a bank or a large corporation, not understanding what really small business is about. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend who I was going through school with, and she was working with a company that needed some help in the heating and air conditioning industry. And I found a niche. And these guys were really, really good at fixing things, but they were really lousy business understanding the numbers and that's when I realized I had the knack for it and that was 27 years ago 28 years ago wow so did you ever work in big corporate or did you just find no. your place with small business no I the, the company I was working with as a chemical engineer was not a huge corporation it was a, a relative I mean it wasn't tiny but yeah. it wasn't like um, coca-cola or you know one of those so it's it was it's been it's been a fun fun ride that I've helped a lot of people truly understand the financial side of business. And as you found out, once you start doing it, it's not hard. No, it really isn't. No, no. Yeah. once you know what you're doing, it's actually quite easy. Yeah, I mean, I I also liken it to the point where you know we've all taken up hobbies. I don't know whether you play golf or anything else like that, but the first time you held a golf club and it's like, oh my god. <laughs> I think golf is a continuous practice. Yeah. And you get better and better at it, but it's still a continuous practice. It's like your financials. The first time you look at them, it's like, what am I looking at? And then after that, it gets easier and easier and easier as you keep looking at them and get a little knowledge about what they're saying. Yeah. So that kind of brings me to my next question. What, what do you do when you're not playing with small business finance? I go and take pictures and traveling. I've run 14 marathons. Oh, wow. Yeah. And a lot, you know, and I do a lot of running, obviously. And then I love photography. So we go on, you know, I love to travel and we take pictures wherever we're going. I'm a landscape photographer and oh, that's really my avocation, water and sunlight and things along like that. So 
those are my two favorite things to do. And then I do the New York Times crossword puzzle online every day. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. All right. So let's jump in to the crux of what we wanted to talk about today. So I'll start with a question and then I'm just going to let you roll and we'll see where we go with this conversation. So can you tell me what are some of the common financial mistakes that female small business owners make and how can they avoid them? We've already talked about the first one. It's not looking at your financial statements, being afraid of your financial statements. I mean, I think of all of them, that's probably the worst Mm-hmm. is not looking at them. Because even if you look at them and they look wrong, at least you're going to start in the back of your head going, eh, you know, what what's really going on here? And hopefully you'll get enough curiosity just to take a look and, and see what's going on. That's number one. You've got to look at your financial statements. And if you don't, it's like um, trying to operate your business with your head in the sand. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work. It really and truly does not work. That is the most important thing. Um, Timely, accurate financial statements will keep you out of trouble so, so, so much. That's number one. Number two is not pricing right. Mm. Um, A lot of, and and what's really bad is a lot of the um, direct sales organizations say, okay, then your profit is this. And it's really, you know, they say, you know, you're going to buy this, mascara from us for two bucks and you're going to sell it for four bucks and so your profit is two bucks and they they get these wrong ideas in people's heads because that's your gross profit that's Mm -hmm. not your net profit you still have the cost of running your business that you have to take out that two bucks for Mm. i mean you've got you know if you're operating your business out of your house you still have business cards you still have a phone you still have computer expenses you know there's so many things you still have so that two bucks that they say is your profit, they don't tell you that's your gross profit. They just say profit. And if you say, okay, what, what are my expenses to run my business? And, and then, then you get to your net profit. The other thing that um, really, really gets you into the pricing is how do you actually generate revenue? And you would say, well, I sell this or I sell this or I sell this or you know whatever else it is. But you have to look at, what you, how you generate revenue by units. All right. So like if you're going to open a restaurant, your unit of revenue generation is a meal. Mm -hmm. The more meals you serve, the more revenue you get. If you're going to be a, I don't know, a a car wash, for example, I'm just pulling things off the top of my head right now. And the more cars that get washed through your car wash, your unit of revenue is a car. If you're a gym or some other membership type organization, the more members you have, the more money you generate. So you have to look at your unit that is your unit of generation. Mm-hmm. It's not, oh, I sell a bunch of stuff or I provide services for a bunch of things. You know, you might provide marketing service. So your unit of generation is actually a billable hour. Mm-hmm. How many hours can you bill a customer? It's not how many hours you work. You know, if you're a consultant, how many are you actually billing that you can actually bill a customer for versus how many are, are you actually working, all right? The only ones that generate revenue are those billable hours, the hours that you can bill a customer for. 
And so you have to take into consideration, especially if you're in a services business, it's not how many hours you work, it's how many billable hours you work. Because mm. that's how you generate revenue. Yes. So yeah. if you, you know, if you want, if you're, and I'm just going to put numbers in here, if you want um, to make $100,000 a year and you have a thousand billable hours, you have to charge $100 an hour. Mm. Doesn't matter how many total hours you work, but if you, if you want to make $100,000 a year and you only have a thousand billable hours, you have to charge $100 an hour. And if you're looking at a product, Base business. So, if you're talking about the um, the unit of what do you call it, the unit of gen generation? No, how your revenue generation unit? How do you generate revenue? Yes. So, is it a billable hour? Is it a product sale? Is it a meal? Is it a member? Is it a car? You know, how do you gen? How do you really generate revenue? What are the units that allow you to generate revenue? Yes. Because that's something that I find gets missed a lot um, in the clients that I I work as a business coach for a not for profit. So um, and we mm-hmm. work with startups, and a lot of clients who sell products, um, it's like what you said about the um, the gross profit versus the net profit. They don't, you know, they're like, oh, I'm going to sell six candles and get all this much money. But when they work out, when you work out the hours that they put into it and, like you said, all the consumables and everything they need, it's like they're earning very, very little per candle. Yeah. Per candle. Yeah. Yeah. But they're, so they're like, unit- selling so many. It's doing really well. It's like, but not for the effort that you're putting in. And Yeah. It's like your unit of revenue generation is a candle. Mm. So for every candle you sell, how much net profit drops to the bottom line? And I'll bet it's about two cents. Yeah. And now are you willing to work for two cents? Yes. And I wouldn't be. I'm not sure you would be either. <laughs> so, okay, those are the first two. All right. And then as they get employees not having job descriptions in place, mm-hmm. not giving them um what they're responsible for, what they're going to be, I hate to say the word graded, um, but you know, they're key performance indicators that they have to make, not understanding where, um, how they fit into the profitability picture or how they fit into the customer picture. Um, they have to have a clear definition of why they're there, what they're supposed to do, what their minimum requirements are, and communication all the time to let them know where they are. Mm-hmm. And that's hard for business owners, especially in the beginning, mm. because, you know, they think that their employees can read their minds. Yes. They can't. You know, if you want the telephone answered a certain way, you have to communicate, this is how I want the phone answered. And if you walk by and somebody's answering the phone, not in the way you want it being answered, it's like, okay, I gave you a script. I told you how I wanted the phone answered. Um, can we practice going over it again? And you'll have to do it until that becomes ingrained in them. And that's how the phone gets answered. You know, it can be something as simple as that. Mm. Um, but you know, communication with employees is critical in terms of what they're responsible for 
and how well they're doing for their responsibilities. Now, mm. if you're by yourself, you don't have that issue, yeah. obviously. But at some point, if you want the business to grow, you're going to have to hire people because you're not going to be able to do it all yourself. Yeah. And that's when you have to start with job descriptions and communications and all those sort of fun things. Yeah. And it, a point that you've made, it is really important because, again, a lot of people that I come across just kind of grab someone and throw them in a role that doesn't really exist and kind of nut it out as they go. Um, and that that creates, I, I actually did a podcast episode with a friend of mine who's an HR consultant and we spoke about that and that was really eye-opening to me. It's like, of course, you need to first work out exactly what the person's doing because otherwise, like, if you if you don't have all that really clear and they're not performing the way you need them to perform, like, it's money down the drain. Yeah, absolutely. It's costing you money. And, and you have to know what their strengths are. And I'll give you a perfect example. Um, one of my clients, and unbeknownst to me, um, had a person leave. And this person was very detail-oriented. She did the billing. I mean, she knew, you know, dotted her I's and crosses her T's. Mm-hmm. And the manager just pulled somebody who was phenomenal on the phone to do this work. And this person was miserable because... She's not a numbers person. Mm. And the manager was frustrated because she wasn't doing the job right. And she wasn't doing the things. I said, put her back on the phones. That's what she's good at. You know, and go find somebody for this position. Mm. You know, and if you stick, you know, stick somebody in a position that they're not good at, everybody loses. They're unhappy. You're unhappy. Your customers get unhappy, too. Yeah. That's you know, can you imagine sticking a bookkeeper on the phone? <laughs> I have friends that are bookkeepers, so I'll answer that very carefully. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two totally different person. What I'm getting at, it's two totally different personalities. So one who's very detail oriented, who mm. would like to sit in most of them, sit in an office, do their thing and not talk to anybody. Yeah. You put them yep. on the phone where they got to talk to somebody. They're not a happy camper. Mm. They're miserable. Yeah. So you, you've spoken a few times about understanding financial statements. So can you tell us what are the key things that we should be aware of in our, fi- or which financial statements should, be we looking, should we be looking at? How often? And what are the actual metrics that we should really be paying attention to? All right. Every month you should get a profit and loss statement and a balance sheet. Your profit and loss statement tells you whether you earned a profit or had a loss for a specific period of time, usually a month. You have to make sure that your material expenses and your cost of sales are in cost of sales and are not in your overhead part. So a P&L basically is revenue, subtract your cost of sales. That gives you the gross profit. Subtract all the expenses that you have to stay in business, like your rent, somebody answering the phone your travel expenses, you know, office supplies and things like that mm-hmm. to give you a net operating profit. And you have to make sure that your gross margin, which is gross profit divided by sales, is consistent every month. If it's going up and down, um, you have what I call financial statement fruit salad as a general rule, <laughs> which means if you're making a product, you bought a whole lot of materials in one month, but you didn't make the product until the following month. 
So your margin goes down. And the month where you make the product, but you didn't buy anything, your, your margin goes up. So that's financial statement, fruit salad, uh, a margin that looks like a, um, a chainsaw, a seesaw, that mm -hmm. type of thing. And that's what I would look for specifically on a PL is to make sure that your gross margins are consistent. Now, a balance sheet, most people don't get, but your balance sheet's actually more important than your profit and loss statement because it tells you true profitability. Your balance sheet is for a month or a quarter or a year, whereas your PL start or your balance sheet started the day you started your business and will end the day you leave your business. Mm -hmm. It is, it changes every day because your cash position usually changes every day. You either write a check, you get a check or, you know, you get money in the door, you write, you, you know, write checks for money or, you know, whatever. So um, the balance sheet tells you whether you are becoming more profitable over a long period of time. And it's done by looking at current assets divided by current liabilities and current assets are things that are cash or turned into cash within a year. And current liabilities are things you got to pay in a year. I mean, it's really, I mean, it's easy. Coming in within a year, got to pay within a year. Divide the two. It needs to be over one and it needs to be increasing. Mm -hmm. That says your profitability is increasing. So those would be the ratio that I would look at the most. And then there's others that you can do, but you always want to make sure, number one, you have enough cash um, to be able to grow the business. And that will tell you whether you're growing, the business is becoming more profitable or less profitable just by that one ratio. And you need to know that. So those, those would be the things, those would be the, the two things that I would look at trick, you know, it's not a trick, but it's the things that you want to pay attention to the most. Um, and the other th one thing that I tell every client that I have is put money away. Every time you get money in the door, take one or 2% of it and put it in savings. You never, ever, ever know when you're going to have, you know, some, some client not pay their bill and you got payroll or big expense that you've got to pay. So that's what you have your savings account for. And in most companies, you can have your savings account in the same bank as you have your operating account. So it's really easy to transfer money. Mm -hmm. Just do it get into the habit of every Friday, how much came in, take one or 2% of it, put it away. You know, in the beginning, it's not going to be a whole lot, but yeah. over a couple of years, it gets very large. And Builds up. my yeah. plea is don't touch it. You never know. That's like your emergency account then. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's funny because um, I started my daughter doing that when she was, oh my gosh, her first job was when she was, I think, 15 or 16 years old. And she went to college and she ended up, something happened to her truck. And she said, mom, I now know why you made me put money away. <laughs> so she had the money to take care of her truck and didn't have to call her mother and say, can I have money? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my next question for you is I often see people who are really good at their, they're either really good at one or the other. They're really good at their personal finances or they're really good at their business finances. But a lot of people that I see really struggle to balance both, like to have mm -hmm. both, you know, functioning well. Do you have any tips or advice that you can give those people on how to, you know, do a good job of both your personal and your business finances? So 
personal finances are not the same as business finances, obviously. Hmm. So the business finances really revolve around making sure you look at a P&L and the balance sheet and mm-hmm. making sure that you have cash in the bank and cash flow and that you're consistent with what you pay yourself. All right. A lot of when they startups, they don't take any money and then they take a big chunk and then they don't take any money and they take a big chunk. Try to pay yourself consistently. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, and from the personal side, people don't really think, okay, I have a personal balance sheet and a personal P&L, but you actually do. They're just used to saving money. They're used to sitting down and paying their bills the first of every month. They're now, they're pretty much done online, um, but doing it on a certain day and a certain time. It's just, you can transfer that habit and say, okay, I'm going to pay all the business bills on the 10th and the 25th or, you know, every Friday or whatever else it is. You can translate the habits that you have personally to how they would fit from a business perspective mm-hmm. or vice versa. You know, if you pay the business bills every Friday afternoon, uh, you can do the same thing with your personal bills. Every Saturday morning, for example, you sit down and pay your bills that you got. I mean, you can do the same things. It's just most people who start try to mix business and personal. And that's, Mm. you know, a really bad thing to do. You should have a business checking account, business credit cards. Um, Even if you have a personal credit card, that you use for business, you know, like you might have two credit cards, one, if one, you would say, okay, this is only for business use, even though it's in my personal name. And this one I use for all my personal purchases and keep them separate Mm. so that you know what your business expenses are. You know what your personal expenses are because it's hard to really um, know what your P and L and balance sheet is. If you have personal expenses mixed in with your business expenses. And, you know, once you get employees and they see you're doing it, they think they can put their personal expense. Mm, good point. I have seen that. I have seen that happen a lot. Wow. They sneak it in, you know, well, the owner's paying their personal um, utility bill from the business. I'm just going to sneak it into my expense report. Wow. So what, what kind of role does financial planning play in achieving long-term business success? Like how do you, I guess part of it is you look at your monthly P&L and your balance sheet, like you've been saying, but how do you actually develop a good financial plan for a business? What are the things that you look at when you come in somewhere? Yeah, the first thing you want, first question I always ask is what's the end game? Mm -hmm. Are you going to sell the business? Are you going to shut it down after a period of time? Are you going to merge it with somebody else? Because the end game really and truly tells you how you run the business. If you're going to sell it, you know, whether it's to family members or or your employees who are working there, it's a very different outcome than if you're going to sell it to somebody who may be a competitor or somebody who comes in or something like that. Um, If you're going to, you know, basically you're going to, you know, don't care. That's not the right word. Um, you'll take more out of the business if you're going to give it to family members or something like that as a general rule. You want a higher valuation if you're going to sell it to somebody on the outside. Mm-hmm. So your your business planning really is, your business is a tool to help you achieve what you want to do. All right? I like that. So there's not really, the, the financial plan for the business is, how much money do I want, need when it's done? 
and then you work backwards. You know, sometimes it's a 10 year plan. Sometimes it's a 20 year plan. Sometimes it's a five year plan Mm -hmm. to where you need to be every single year to achieve what you want there. Then the business gets sold. It gets passed to the next generation, whatever else it is. And then it's financially, personally, the business funds the personal goals, objectives, whatever else it is. You know, I was working with a guy who was 42 years old and didn't have, you know, he was in the beginning, obviously, of his plan, had a heart attack. Wow. 42. Wow. 42. And his wife didn't want to run the business and she sold it off in a fire sale. I mean, that wasn't the long-term plan. Mm. It was very sad when it happened, but, you know, she, she, she didn't want to run it. That's the issue. And so she sold it off in a fire sale rather than continue a business that was doing really well mm-hmm. and just said, no, I'm done. So it's better that you exit rather than having the business, you know, you be alive when it, when you exit is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, that makes <laughs> sense. So that kind of, I guess, leads me into my next question. So how, what advice do you give people, um, in order to prepare themselves financially for unexpected events like, you know, economic downturns or health crises. (laughs) You've already mentioned they're putting away 2%. Mm -hmm. What what other advice do you give? All right. So here's how much should be in your savings account at all times. Mm -hmm. All right. So you take your largest payroll month, However much that payroll is, you know, payroll, payroll taxes, you know, all the other benefits that you give them, however much the money that is. And then you add your highest overhead month to it. You add the two together and multiply by three. That's the minimum that you need savings for, for downturns when you're sick or, you know, anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I have some of my clients who do it like 12. Yeah, it's just... That, you know, some people are very risk averse. I happen to be one of those people mm. and I have more than times three mm. just because I have enough put away that if we didn't have anything come in the door in my business for a year, we'd be okay. Yeah. Not that that's going to happen. Well, who knows? We could have another COVID shutdown. We just don't know. Yeah. But, you know, so, and I'm very, you know, risk averse because I've seen what's happened to my clients over the years. So, you know, I've learned from there, you know, what's happened to them. Um, but I also have some clients who just multiply by three and they're totally comfortable with that. Mm. So you have to figure out what your appetite for risk is. Mm. Well, I, I didn't consciously do it, but I had times nine and I got sick a couple of years ago and had six months where I couldn't do anything income generating. And I was able to pay myself, pay all my bills for those six months. And I had the Mm -hmm. three months like grace to get back into the <laughs> so yeah i i'm very risk averse as well it's like <laughs> yes that's that's excellent advice that like i said i kind of did it without realizing it's what i was doing but oh my gosh i'm so glad that i did yeah absolutely and you know in the beginning you're not going to have it you know if you put the two percent away and if you get a large check in the door and you have extra cash just put it away and forget about it 
um, and it will it will build up, and then you just have to have the intentional intestinal fortitude not to touch it yes. when you want something. You know, yes. delayed gratification. Yes, I think I had mine in a completely different bank <laughs> bank. Yeah, a completely different financial institution. So even when I went in to do my um, yeah. bi-monthly financial stuff, I couldn't see it. <laughs> no, that's true. Mine is in a different bank account too. It's not where my operating checking account is because it's yeah. too easy to take it. Exactly. It's like I want to see what's in and out when I'm just doing my general finances. I don't want to know. Like that's like a little bonus. Now and again I'll look and go, oh, look at what I've done. But Generally, I don't want to know it's there because it, it might be too tempting. Hard to take it out. That's what I always tell people. What was that? I said, make it hard to take it out. Yes, I absolutely. You know, if you're if it's in a separate bank account or something like that, make it hard to take it out. Yeah. So what advice would you give to any of our listeners who are just sort of starting out or in their first few years of business and they haven't got their financials under control. They can't, they've thought about it, but yeah, they haven't actually done anything about it. They're still a bit ad hoc and maybe using their personal accounts a bit. What would you tell them they should really just, the first steps that they should take to start getting organized? Separate business and personal. That's first. Yep. Absolutely do it. All right. That's number one. Number two. Spend 10 minutes a week on the financial side of your business. And at the end of the month, when you get a P&L balance sheet, spend a half hour. We all have a half hour. We all have 10 minutes a week. I waste 10 minutes a week. I'm sure you waste 10 minutes a week. <laughs> that would be the first things I would start with. And then once you get there, then you can get more in-depth and detailed. But you know, just get a, kind of get an idea of what a P&L on a balance sheet looks like. Hmm start to really understand that so it's worth investing would you say it's worth investing in the financial um software or when would you say it's worth investing in the financial software what stage of business i'd start with day one i mean you have zero in the in australia it's very popular in the u.s it's quickbooks it's very easy to use the two are very easy to use Start on day one with it. You'll probably put things in the wrong place, but who cares? You can fix it. Um, and and that's what I would do. Just start from day one. And in the beginning, you you haven't hired a bookkeeper or somebody to handle the financial side of business. So you're going to do it and you're going to learn a whole lot about business by you putting in the numbers. Mm. Let's do it. Close your eyes, take a deep breath and go, okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yes. It's like take your take your financial future in your hands and just just do it. Just make it happen. Yeah. And at that point in time, probably within a year, instead of being, oh gosh, I don't want to look at it, it's like, okay, how have we done? Yeah. You know, it, it switches. And and you've seen that happen. Mm. I've seen it happen. It's you know, it's like, oh gosh, in the beginning, I don't want to look at this. But after a while it becomes all right. How did we do this month? What was our profitability this month? And, you know, and and it becomes fun. It becomes a game. And I know for some of you who are looking at financials going, oh my gosh, I can't believe it will ever be a game. Yeah. But give it a year. You know, yeah. honestly try it for a year and you will be shocked at number one, how easy it really is. 
and you were wondering why I was afraid of it. And then number two is you'll start looking at it as a game. Like, what can I do better this month? What can I do to be better this month? And you just, it becomes a game to improve the business. And, and that's when it becomes fun. Yeah. And it's, it's great because you can, like what I do, it, this is what I do with everything I do in my business. I ask the three questions. So what went, what went well, what didn't go so well, and what can I try better next time? And that's what I do because I every, I do the 10th and 25th. And every time I do that, I enter my, I've got a spreadsheet. So I've, I use zero, but I've also got a spreadsheet, which is my quick glance thing. And I like to look at that and mm-hmm. go, okay, so that was different. So what went well? Why, why, what went well? This didn't go so well. What can I do differently? Like I do it in regards to my finances. What generated yeah, that extra or why is that down? What happened? So, yeah, in that respect, it can be a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, can we do it again? What went well? Can we do it again? Yeah. Can we continue doing it? And we make yeah. it even better and better we and do better. It better. Yes. Awesome. So Ruth, are there, is there anything else that you really wanted to share with our listeners today? The only thing I, I, I thing that we haven't covered is that business is fun. Taking care of customers gives you a great deal of satisfaction, or it should. And if it doesn't, you don't belong in business. Okay? Um, if you started the business to, you know, killing, it's that's not the reason to be in business. The reason in business is you want to serve. You want to take care of customers. You want to do really good thing for customers. You want to provide them with phenomenal products or services or things like that. And when the light bulb goes off in their eyes and they send you all these really cool notes saying thank you, it's fun. Realize, you know, why you're in business when when the lousy days happen because they happen to all of us. Then um, take out some of those thank you notes and appreciations from your customers and you remember why you're in business. Yep. That is so true. That's awesome. So Ruth, tell us where our listeners can find you. If they want to find out more, if they want to grab one of your books, where can they go on the web? Uh, My website is ruthking.info, which makes it really easy for everybody and everything is there. You can contact me through there. The books are there. They're also on Amazon, so you can get them there um, and on Kindle and Audible. And so if you don't like to read, you can listen. <laughs> awesome. So that's the best place to get me is ruthking.info. Yeah. Fantastic. And so if we had to condense everything we've talked about today down into one key message that you would like our listeners to take away and live by, what would that be? Don't be afraid of your financials. Look at them. It will help you create a phenomenal business. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit subscribe. If you'd like to learn more, then check out our website, www.workwifewinetime.com.au. While you're there, jump on our mailing list to receive special updates and offers from our guests. Until next time, take care and drink responsibly.